It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, today's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in about an hour for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national uh, headlines about politics and current events. We have uh, uh, Mark Everson is joining our roundtable regulars this week. He is a, a former... Uh, head of the IRS. He was a high-ranking official with the INS. He served in high-ranking uh, governmental uh, positions in two presidential administrations, and he'll join our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for today's edition of Armchair Politics. But first, we're going to talk about, um, in in a way, this sort of reminds me of, of the butterfly effect, if you've ever heard of that. A butterfly flaps its wings in Japan, and there's a tsunami in California. But uh, there's a revised edition of a book written by uh, my next uh, my guest this first hour, 
Uh, he's had numerous articles published in the Mensa Bulletin and in graduate school textbooks on subjects ranging from Supreme Court reform to Arctic exploration. But the book we're going to talk about, I'm, I'm fascinated by, is called Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 39 Tiny Mistakes That Changed the World Forever by Jared Knott. And uh, Jared Knott joins me by phone. Hi, Jared. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. It's an honor to be here. Um, is, is that a fair analogy, the butterfly effect? <laughs> Yes, yes. In fact, I talked to a, 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 a mathematician, uh, a Professor uh, Lorenz, who came up with a theory. I'll tell you this story very quickly. He was running this computer program, and it was a number with a decimal and then about 18 long numbers behind it, infinitesimally, infinitesimally wrong, long. And he uh, was saying, gee whiz, 18 numbers. I can probably whack it down to about 10, just drop off that last eight. The computer program will run a lot faster, and it won't make any difference in the outcome. Well, when he did that and compared the two, two, it was a huge difference that those last last eight, eight numbers made in the final outcome. And he was he became amazed at how, in kind of a domino effect in a linear progression, how these things can multiply on top of each other. And that's where he came up with the analogy that a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil can set off a chain reaction that can cause a cyclone in Texas a year and a half later. So that's uh, that's where it comes from. How did you get the idea to write this book, Jared? Um, was it, I don't know, looking at big disasters and, and reverse engineering? Well, no, it was funny. There's an old saying from uh, Benjamin Franklin that comes down through the ages. <clears throat> for one of a nail, the shoe was lost. For one of the shoe, the rider was lost. For one of the rider, the battle was lost. For one of the battles, the empire was lost. The empire was lost, all for want of a nail. I was wondering, well, how often does that really happen that a single tiny nail or single, single tiny mistake can cause uh, uh, an entire empire to collapse? Well, you'd be amazed how often it happens. One little mistake leads to something else, leads to something else, and an entire country uh, collapses. It does. It happens uh, a number of times. Well, we, we've certainly heard that story told um, in in a way about World War One. But what are some of the the big disasters that can be traced back to a tiny blunder and how tiny does can the blunder be yes uh, one of my favorites is the 2000 election presidential election down in florida it's not <laughs> the hanging chads it's not the hanging chads it's something that most people don't know about and it's the butterfly bow the butterfly word being used in a different way here but down in palm beach county the director of elections, clerk of elections, a lady named Teresa Lepore, a very fine, outstanding, intelligent lady, designed a ballot. Uh, she made the print real big so that the older people would be able to see the names. And she designed it with two pages, of course, page on the left, page on the right, and then a series of punch holes down the center. But the way she designed it, Al Gore's name was the number two name on the page on the left, but he was the number three punch hole. The number two punch hole would belong to Pat Buchanan on the other page. Well, many people got confused, and they punched Pat Buchanan's hole instead of punching Alan Gore's hole. <laughs> and surrounding yeah. counties, uh, uh, Pat Buchanan got maybe 150, maybe 200 votes. This one county, he gets several thousand votes. And some people got confused and punched both holes, both Pat Buchanan and Al Gore, which disqualified their ballot, about 5,000 of those. But it's very, uh, Al Gore ended up losing the state of Florida 
by about 426 votes. He would have easily won it by three or 4,000 votes if it had not been for the confusion over this ballot. He would have won the state of Florida. He would have won the presidency. He was adamantly opposed to the war in Iraq, just adamantly opposed. There had been no war in Iraq. We had 50,000 people that died. It was like $2 trillion uh, that was wasted, and they didn't really have uh, advanced um, weapons of mass destruction after all. Uh, long story, anyway, that, uh, and they had Therese Lepore on one of the morning talk shows, and they were saying to her, people say that you're responsible for this war, and she was in tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate the fact that you're crying, lady. I'm a pretty nice person, but we got 50,000 dead people and $2 trillion down the drain because of a single tiny mistake. Yeah, but in a in a presidential election, um, it it doesn't seem like it could be any one thing. It seems like it's um, there are lots right. of things that happen all over the country in a presidential election. It, it, how how definitive is it that that one single thing had it changed yeah. would have changed the mm-hmm. outcomes? Yeah, there are many, many different factors. Of course, obviously, in a presidential election, it was going to be a very, very close election. But uh, the state of Florida determined who was the winner, who the winner was going to be. Um, it is very clear that if it weren't for that misdesigned ballot, Al Gore would have uh, got another three, 4,000 votes. Okay, even Pat Buchanan said those votes that he got, the two some odd thousand he got, really belonged to Al Gore. He himself said that, uh, and so he would have uh, won the state of Florida instead of losing by 426 votes. He would have won by at least 1,500, if not two or three or 4,000. Okay, he would have won Florida. He would have won the election. He was opposed to the war in Iraq, and, and bingo, uh, there you are, a little tiny mistake. One thing dominated on top of another on top of another, and we got that uh, horrible result. How do you go about uh, selecting uh, 39? I would have to think that there are hundreds of examples. Yes, there are other examples. In fact, the book was getting kind of long. I had three other chapters I was going to add, but the book was getting kind of big, about 430 pages. I said, well, okay, that's enough. And maybe <laughs> we'll save that for a sequel. But uh, yeah, there are, it's amazing how many there are, how uh, single mistakes can multiply on top of each other and cause this to go wrong and that to go wrong. And, uh, and there you are with a mess at the end. So, and uh, would you like another example? Yeah, please. Yes, the, uh, uh, this is the, uh, has to do with the war in Vietnam, but a single piece of tape rotated several inches the wrong direction, changed the outcome of the Vietnam War, uh, and uh, led to the collapse of, uh, of Vietnam, which doesn't make any sense. What we're talking about is a single piece of tape. It had to do with the Watergate break-in. You had the burglars breaking in from the uh, parking garage into the main building, and they jimmied the lock there at the door, and they put a piece of tape, uh, they're told to put the piece of tape in the vertical position so it could not be seen from the hallway inside the building. They made a mistake and they put it in the horizontal position. So when Frank Wills, the night watchman, came walking by, what's this tape on the door? Oh, well, the door's been jimmied, and he called the police. By the way, he had to call the police twice the first time they ignored him, and they were going to send a, uh, a uniformed officer to come investigate but the uh, rumor has it, strong rumor, that the uniform officer was uh, intoxicated in a local bar and could not make it. Therefore, <laughs> they had to send the, uh, the bum patrol. This was the officers dressed as hobos arrived driving an old jalopy car. Well, they pull up at the Watergate uh, complex, and they look out, does not recognize them, 
as police officers. So they get inside the building, they arrest James McCord and the other burglars, the Watergate scandal begins, it leads to the collapse of the Nixon administration, and Henry Kissinger was talking about on radio and television, he's being interviewed, and he said they knew the North Vietnamese were going to be violating the treaty. The plan was to go in there and bomb the living daylights out of them again to get them back in compliance. They were so weak politically they couldn't. South Vietnam collapses, the administration collapses, it all falls apart because of a single piece of tape turned several inches in the wrong direction, and you might add a drunk cop. <laughs> oh, imagine that. Um, yeah. This this is um, fascinating. The um, and and I didn't mention in your uh, introduction, Jared, that. Um, you were a decorated combat infantry officer in Vietnam in the 1st Air yes. uh, Cavalry Division. But yes. since then, in your civilian career, um, you've been vice president of sales and marketing and marketing director in the uh, home improvement industry. Um, That's correct. Yes. Do, you, do you always think in, in terms of parts and, and cause and effect and reverse engineering? Well, no, I, I tell people <laughs> my mind is a, um, I know a lot of trivia. I tell people my mind is a trash bin of trivia. I've got all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, when I uh, first had this idea, then when she, I wonder how often that happens. Here's another, I think of another example of something I read 20, 30 years ago. And then, well, here's another example. Here's another example. Of course, you do more and more research. I guess I got some suggestions from other people. I just kept accumulating and kept accumulating. And uh, it uh, ended up being uh, uh, quite a list. I say 39 is kind of a rhetorical number. I think the actual number, depending on how you slice it, in the book is more like 43 or 44 various stories, and there was, like, say, at least three more that we could have added that we didn't because the book was already getting kind of lengthy. Um, Jared, when did the uh, book come out? I, I notice I'm looking at a revised edition. Yes, it came out late October of this, uh, of this last year, and I'm happy to say we are... Our bestseller on Amazon, we're number one in uh, nine different categories, and we're number five in world history, which is the second largest category, uh, and high, ranked high also in U.S. history. So it's, uh, it's done quite well to be in the, uh, the bestseller list that long. It's done quite well. Won two national awards, I have to say, and we've gotten some very good reviews, getting close to 900 reviews there, including a good review on the, with the Mensa Bulletin. And uh, so we're, we're rocking along. We're rocking along. I'm very, very grateful for for the blessing. Well, Jared, I I, I want to talk some more about the uh, about the book, but I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure can. Yes, my, sir. Sure can. My guest is Jared Knott. He is the author of a uh, fascinating book called Tiny Blunders, Big Mistakes, 39 Tiny Mistakes That Changed the World Forever. And we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are 92.1 LPFM WFOV, our voices radio in Flint, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House, Spectacle Productions, and my friend Paul Herring. Um, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, but we'll be back with more with author Jared Knott um, when we return. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. There's a lot more straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. That means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with the author of a uh, book called Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 39 Tiny Mistakes That Change the World Forever. His name is Jared Knott, and he's uh, joining me by phone. Jared, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. No problem. Um, Appreciate it very much. The um, now in collecting these these stories, um, and and we were talking about this uh, uh, just before we went to break. Um, is this this almost seems like like a, a, an intellectual exercise or a game you might have played? It's kind of like that uh, um, that whole six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Thing. Right. Uh, right. Is that how this came about in in your mind, or were you researching something else? Came across something and said, "You know what? I bet this happens all the time." Well, yeah. It uh, like I say start off with the very first example that came to mind was the Watergate break-in. But then I was thinking, I would think of another one, and then I would think of another one. Something like I say twenty, twenty-five years ago. There's this one here, and I would just start accumulating uh, examples from what I had read. And then, of course, I started uh, researching and looking for examples, and it was like uh, five paper. You get one stick to it, another one would stick to it. At one point, then I had like ten examples. I went, gee, this might make a pretty good magazine article, and just kept kind of growing and growing and growing, and we got example after example after example. It's, uh, it's surprising how often these, uh, these things uh, come up. Um, it uh, also has a um, practical application um, in the medical field, uh, of course, an operation can become very, very complex. And there was a, uh, a particular uh, doctor, uh, his name was, uh, uh, let's see, Atawab, uh, let's see, that's not quite right. Uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, Gawande, yeah, Gawande, Atul Gawande. And he was uh, uh, wondering, gee, it became so complex, so difficult. The way we normally do it is that you get the six or seven or eight years of experience and then you get that under your belt and you go into the operating room and just go by gut instinct. But that, uh, it, uh, it's uh, human beings are, uh, make mistakes. Human beings uh, cannot always remember everything they're supposed to at exactly the right time. I wonder how the airline industry handled the same issue of having uh, to deal with human beings deal with something that's so complex. So he went over there to uh, Boeing and he uh, talked to them and said, how do you, with these uh, all these complex operations, how do you make sure that everything gets done uh, correctly? And... Uh, his name is Atul Gawande, Atul Gawande, anyway. And they said they went back to a famous airline crash, airplane crash, way back in 1939. It was the forerunner of the B-17. At that time, the prototype was called the B-299. Anyway, there was a, an accident which killed the pilot and the co-pilot. They had made one single tiny mistake. They forgot to flip off the elevator switch, elevator yoke, which is part of the uh, automatic pilot system, and it forced the nose of the airplane to go up. It stalled and fell and pancaked down and killed both the pilot and the co-pilot, and these were among uh, Boeing's very best pilots. So in the, in the analysis, uh, after the accident, the uh, Boeing people, what can we do to make sure this sort of thing never happens again? And it went back to a very humble tool, an uh, ancient tool, the humble checklist. And they put together a system the pilot and the co-pilot get together and there's say 37 items on the checklist or 44 items on the checklist. 
okay, item number one, such and such dial has to be turned in such and such position. Check, check. Item number two, the elevator yoke has to be turned off. Check, check. Such and such fuel has gauge has to be set to put turned in such and such a position. Yes, check, check. So human beings can only think about one thing at a time, and so the checklist takes them through all the 37 or 44, whatever it is, items that have to be taken care of before the airplane takes off. And that became a basic tenet in the airline industry, and it saved the uh, lives of hundreds of, this was experienced pilots, it saved the lives of hundreds of, of novice pilots in World War II, and it's now, for many years now, been a part of the system of the industry. Well, I told Gawande, took that back and applied it to the medical industry, especially in uh, hospital operations. And uh, they got dramatic results. Uh, the uh, fatalities in the operations dropped by 36% because they, the cart would be there with the plasma on it that you might need, the antibiotics on it that you might need, the additional blood, the right blood type that you might need. All these things were done in advance, all checked off in advance. It made preparation much more efficient, and they got tremendous results. They also discovered that when everybody in the operating room had introduced themselves and everybody knew everybody, it opened up communication, and good communication also helped get more successful results and better uh, survival rates. So that was uh, something about dealing with tiny mistakes and preventing them from happening that uh, has a very strong practical application. And it can be someone building a birdhouse, someone uh, putting together the garden, that kind of checklist approach, a pre-planning approach can be very useful there also. Well, and that's that's easy to imagine, but in the example, Jared, that, that you gave in the in the previous segment, of um, you know a piece of tape on a door during the right. the Watergate burglary that led to the resignation of Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. how do you look at the Vietnam War and and? study the Vietnam War and end up back in the in the Watergate apartment complex. Yeah, the they were again planning uh, if Richard Nixon had been continued to be strong uh, politically and strong in his popularity, they would have been in a position to go in and it was a massive massive bombing of North Vietnam that forced them into a negotiated uh, treaty but they knew they were going to violate the treaty the first chance they got, and the plan was when they did violate the treaty, go back there and bomb the daylights out of them again to get them in compliance. But because they were so weak politically, they couldn't. So they just had to allow, uh, and that's what Gerald Ford, Ford became president, but they were so weak politically under Nixon and Ford, they couldn't bomb North Vietnam. They didn't have the political capital to be able to do that. So South Vietnam was allowed to collapse. The North Vietnamese were allowed to come in and take it over, and a, a strong stand was, was not made. So it's very possible that that in, in further intense bombing, when they started to violate the treaty, would have gotten them back into compliance. It's very possible that South Vietnam might have survived the way South Korea survived. Uh, to this day, we will we will never know. That just that's just fascinating to me, Jared, and and. As in the case uh, of, of using the uh, airline checklist as a, a teachable moment for mm-hmm. practice in, uh, in the operating room in the medical field, um, are, are there other teach, teachable moments? I mean, is it, is it just a matter of not making tiny blunders that, that ultimately lead to these big disasters, or is making mistakes inevitable? Well, of course, human beings 
are prone towards making mistakes of judgment, mistakes of execution. There's uh, simply no way to prevent that altogether, of course. But in the introduction of the book, I talked about the mistake. Uh, his name was uh, Foss. Uh, he was a, uh, a decorated uh, Navy pilot in World War II, and he talks about how he was getting ready uh, to uh, climb into the aircraft, and he went down a checklist of all the different things that he had to have. He uh, had to have uh, two different kinds of uh, wax pencils. He had to have a, a sheet of plastic to go over his clipboard. He had to have uh, a, a certain kind of a, a a, a stimulant to shoot himself in the, in the arm with if he needed it. He went through all this whole list of careful planning and careful preparation. And so then the rest became relatively easy because he had such a strong foundation to stand on. Well, that's kind of what we, I'm, I'm hoping that people, young people and everybody uh, can kind of pick up on that message and they know to do that kind of preparation, you know, to use those kind of checklists that they can uh, prevent uh, mistakes from happening. I'm hoping the book is not just a collection of, of novelties, that it actually has some uh, practical use and that the uh, people I'm thinking, in particular students and young people, can, uh, as a takeaway, they can uh, learn to emphasize uh, attention to detail and careful preparation and the use of checklists. Yeah, I, I just wonder about the, the teachability of this. Um, in, in every example, and, and we say there's at least 39 tiny mistakes that mm-hmm. change the world forever. Um, right. Are, are those are those tiny blunders aha moments? Well, yes, uh, they can. You can always look back uh, what was going on with that particular individual at that time. And again, I make my share of mistakes that we all make uh, mistakes, and sometimes it has no serious consequences. Sometimes it has very serious consequences. But the, you can look at the mistakes of uh, other people. And see if you can uh, learn not to make that mistake. And similar situations uh, come up in our, in our own lives. Uh, there's another one that's kind of interesting. Uh, that is a, a chapter about Antietam Creek, and it talks about how the South uh, nearly uh, won the war. I'm from the South. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> good thing we didn't win the war. For God's sakes, that would have been a horrible nightmare. But it, uh, it was. Most people don't realize how close Robert Lee came to winning. I give you that story real quickly. Uh, the uh, he, Robert Lee took over in uh, command of the Southern Army uh, the, uh, there in Virginia uh, in 1862, and he won four battles in a row: uh, the Battle of the Peninsula, he also won uh, uh, Fredericksburg, uh, and uh, uh, it, there was a, a total of four. And it threw the North, North kind of a, into a, a threw them back on their heels, or kind of in a, a real tailspin. Now, over on the other side of the Atlantic. So important things were happening that were going to have a could have had a dramatic impact on the civil war, and that is that uh, England and France were going through a cotton famine. Their textile industries were completely at a standstill, having no cotton uh, to be able to weave, and it was causing serious economic consequences. Uh, there was uh, they were seriously considering uh, recognizing the South as a separate sovereign nation, and that was very important because the blockade of the South was uh, pivotal, pivotal in being able to cripple their ability to fight. But if they had recognized, this, Great Britain and France had recognized the South as a separate nation, they could sail their ships and they're legally to Charleston, to Savannah, to uh, New Orleans, to pick up cotton and to do trade and provide supplies and, and uh, uh, other kinds of foodstuffs, etc. Uh, and if they were challenged by the Union ships, there would have been an act of war against Great Britain by the United States, which, of course, Lincoln uh, could not afford to do. 
sort of broken the blockade and quite you know, forced Lincoln into a negotiated peace, which would be the equivalent of a Southern victory. One more, I mean, four victories in a row, one more major victory by Robert E. Lee and recognition was, was likely to take place. France was already to grant recognition. Great Britain was uh, hovering on the fence. But anyway, uh, Robert E. Lee had a very bold plan invaded the north uh, through Maryland uh, in the area of later Antietam Creek. And he was explaining his plan to General Walker, one of his subordinate generals, and saying we're going to uh, bring 39,000 men up into Maryland and we're going to uh, then attack and, and, uh, and move north. I, and I plan to uh, cut the rail lines east to west. I then plan to uh, put ourselves in a position to threaten uh, Philadelphia, or Baltimore, or Washington, D.C., as suits our purpose. And the General Walker was shy, was just amazed. Sir, so deep in enemy territory with the enemy at our rear, isn't that very dangerous? And he said, uh, do you know General Meade? General Meade was in charge of the Union Army. They are, he is a, a good soldier, but a very cautious one. It, it'll be uh, two or three weeks before he thinks he's ready. He's been defeated several times in a row. It'll be two or three more weeks before he thinks he's ready for offensive operations by that time, I plan to be on the Susquehanna, threatening those objectives uh, as suits our purpose. So it was, uh, if it, and that was a bold plan, which might very well have worked. Robert Lee had an uncanny ability to put himself in the shoes of the, uh, the opposing commander, know, the, know his strengths, know his weaknesses, and he saw weakness with General Lee. Well, here's what happened. This may have been the hand of God. It may have been just a quirky twist of fate. But uh, there in a campground in Maryland, one southern officer uh, took the Robert Lee's orders, which outlined everything he was doing, wrapped it around three cigars, and stuffed it in an envelope, and accidentally dropped the envelope on the ground at a campsite. Well, three days later, Union soldiers were there at that same uh, area, the same campsite. What's this on the ground? Oh, an envelope, three cigars. Robert Lee's orders. Whoa, whoa! They gave it to the captain, who passed it up the line. He got to General Meade. It was its authenticity was verified. He had Lee's very bold and dangerous plan laid out in front of him. And he said, if I can't, I have Robert Lee's plans. He wired uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, if I can't whip Bobby Lee this time, I expect to be sent home. And he, uh, but then uh, softening the advantage, a spy got word to Robert Lee that they had his orders as he was able to pull his forces in uh, and concentrate them around Antietam Creek just in time when the uh, assault from the Union forces came, which again, uh, General uh, General. I'm just sorry, it's, it's McClellan, not me, it's McClellan. General McClellan uh, was very slow uh, to attack, and they had a bloody, bloody day, the bloodiest day in American history, 21,000 casualties in a single day. Uh, but Robert Lee was able to uh, have a kind of a draw and then able to slip back across the Potomac. And McClellan, uh, I said Lee, but McClellan won on points, but uh, it was uh, it could have been a, a crushing defeat, uh, but uh, Lee was able to, uh, to escape. But that was all because somebody dropped an envelope uh, on the ground uh, with uh, his orders wrapped around three cigars. And had not been for that, it could very well have been that the South could have won the war. That's 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 just amazing. I mean, it's it's uh, it just seems completely incredulous. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's a little devil's in the details. Uh, Don't absolutely. drop orders on the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good <laughs> advice, I think. Um, or, or as as some politicians these days say, don't don't ever write anything down. Um, Jared, uh, was there 
in the process of doing the research, how, how many times were you just um, really shocked or, or surprised at some dumb little thing that, that created a disaster? Yes, it's uh, kind of a venture, an exploration of the uh, weaker side of human nature. They're, of course, human beings capable of huge achievements, brilliant breakthroughs, but uh, even the most uh, intelligent are capable of uh, bumbling uh, mistakes. There's the quick little story about uh, Albert Einstein, who received a check uh, for $1,500 back in the 1940s, which in today's dollars would have been like well over $20,000. And he took the check and uh, put it in a book to use as a bookmark, and then he lost the book. Well, there's uh, of course, he was an absent-minded professor type, but there's uh, just a lot. There's uh, bold achievements uh, throughout history, uh, and there's also these little tiny mistakes and bigger mistakes that can uh, be the undoing of even the most uh, uh, well-planned operation if they're uh, if it affects certain uh, certain details. Um, and sometimes it's a question of uh, of overconfidence. Um, here's a, a quick story uh, regarding uh, Texas independence. And uh, I'll, I'll give you that story real quickly here. Uh, Santa Ana was a very evil dictator. He declared he uh, declared that the Constitution of Mexico was invalid, declared himself uh, the supreme ruler. Uh, all seven states in Mexico and Texas, Texas being one of the seven states at that time, rose up in rebellion. Uh, and so he went around for two years and with great cruelty crushed each of the various uh, rebellions in the various states. And after the sixth in Mexico were uh, taken care of, then he moved north across the Rio Grande into Texas. It was time to take care of the state of Texas, which was dominated primarily with Norte Americanos. And, of course, he won the Battle of uh, the Alamo. He won the uh, Battle of, uh, of, uh, San Jose, of, of uh, also uh, with, uh, he defeated the Fannin uh, there at, uh, at Goliad. And uh, then he, it seemed like it was just, at that point, just a question of rounding everything up, of uh, a mop-up operation. And there was one group of uh, left. It was a uh, 700 men uh, under uh, leadership of a man named uh, Sam Houston. And there was just a question uh, sent in his mind of, of running rapids into the ground. He had an army of, of 5,000 men, 700 men, and really more of an organized, semi-organized, uh, disorganized mob than it was uh, an army. And he scattered, he took his forces, uh, divided them, I think, in four different uh, different segments. And he was uh, had the largest segment. I'm kind of leisurely just kind of bumming his way across uh, East Texas uh, looking for these land pirates and thinking it was, it was going to be a very, very simple operation. And so he stumbles, uh, makes a mistake, he stumbles in this particular area that's surrounded by water on three different sides and uh, then has the Texicans on the other side. And then Def Smith, who was a uh, hard-of-hearing uh, spy, he was a very good scout for Sam Houston, he's able to get a copy of the dispatch uh, and uh, Sam Houston sees the position that uh, Santa Ana has put himself in and he's saying, I've got the monkey up a tree, I've got a real chance. Well, everybody expected him, there were two armies who were kind of facing each other, and everybody expected him to attack Santa Ana at dawn. Even Santa Ana was uh, ready, the, his own men were ready, that was the time, the standard time for, uh, for an attack. But he did not attack at dawn, he slept late that morning, and uh, it, it, troops didn't know, he didn't give any directions to his troops. We were wondering what's going to happen, what, what's going on here. And uh, he had a meeting, and he wouldn't tell him what his plans were. And then finally, at 3.30 in the afternoon, completely unexpected, he calls the Army into battle formation. But let me back up a little bit. One of his uh, chief aides 
came to him and said, a gentleman named Hockley, uh, General, uh, could you please explain to everybody what you're doing? It'll make for uh, a much better relationships with the troops so they understand what your plans are. And he said, no, if I, uh, if I shared my plans with you, I'd be a bigger enemy of Texas than uh, even Santa Ana. Uh, I grant you that we could have attacked at dawn and would have won probably, probably, but with heavy losses. When I attack, this is very important, when I attack, we will lose less than a dozen men, and victory is assured. What in the world is he talking about? So anyway, uh, yeah, they, uh, he calls them into formation, okay, and uh, in front, uh, at 3.30 in the afternoon. And here's an important question for our very intelligent audience. Uh, what was happening with the Mexican army at 3.30 in the afternoon? Siesta. The answer is, I'm sure people are saying it, siesta. Siesta. Yeah. He had information. He had information to know that during the siesta period, uh, security in the uh, Mexican army fell to zero, and uh, the commander, the Vicar commander, who was supposed to be in charge, was washing up and shaving. The other sentries were not at their posts, and so they uh, march into battle, uh, and they catch them uh, largely by surprise. It turns into a, gen- a general rout. Okay, Santa Ana comes out of his tent wearing red carpet shoes, rubbing his eyes, and he, what's going to say? He calls for his bugle or sound assembly. I've been shot, General Esimo. It calls for a drummer to, a drummer to a sound, a sound assembly. I've been shot too, General Esimo. Okay, and one of his biggest divisions is in full flight, so he jumps on a black horse and rides away. But uh, it was just a question of overconfidence, uh, a question of uh, getting kind of sloppy, and uh, and uh, a General, uh, in the case of Sam Houston, who saw weakness, was able to take advantage of it. Well, th- this is fascinating, and, and thank you for sharing these stories with us, Jared. What's next for you? More tiny blunders? Well, I hope, I hope <laughs> I'm trying. I made my share of tiny blunders, big blunders like we all have. But I, uh, I'm happy to say that I have a number of uh, radio interviews uh, scheduled in a television interview, and so we're continuing to uh, to march forward, to getting a very good response from people, and I'm, it heartens me uh, when people read the book and they say that they really enjoyed it. It gives me a very good feeling on the inside and people can go to the website tinyblundersbigdisasters.com we have a uh, book trailer there uh, we have a uh, fun quiz we have a portrait gallery we have all those things there it's kind of fun it's got two sample chapters and people can see if they like the book and they can go on from there and they can order a download for two dollars ninety nine cents or they can uh, have the book sent to them in paperback form whichever is suits them purpose. Well, Jared, thanks so much for sharing some of these stories and and for uh, spending some time with me and the listeners this morning. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I I appreciate it. And uh, keep reminding us of uh, our mistakes. Right. Maybe (laughs) prevent them. Hopefully. Exactly. Exactly. Well, keep up the good work. Thanks, Jared. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye-bye. That was uh, Jared Knott, the author of Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 39 Tiny Mistakes That Changed the World Forever. We're going to take a a short break. Armchair Politics, of course, coming up at the top of the hour. Mark Everson joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national Uh, headlines in the world of politics and current events. If you're uh, listening to us on 92.1 FM, WFOV, Our Voices Radio in Flint, 
We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the mask. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, he picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel and said, Goo 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 that's not the right verse. He was only six months years old. Six. Tommy, the real, the ethnic, you know the real version. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee. His daddy picked him up threw him on the floor and said, this baby's done wet on me. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Oh, one more chance. One more chance is all you get. See this pin? It says, think ethnic. You gotta think ethnic and sing ethnic to ever earn this pin. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, he picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel and said, this hammer be the death of me, Lord, Lord, hammer be the death of me. Yeah, when John Henry was just a little tyke, he picked up a piece of steel and a hammer it seemed like he knew all the time, down deep inside, that he was going to work on the railroads. And there was a big story waiting for him to arrive on. Why well, was a little boy used to go around hammering on things. His daddy bought him a little hammer. Let's go around hammering the tables and hammering the fixtures. <laughs> we used to get a licking all the time. We'd go up and hammer on the front door. Hammer on the chairs. Yet as John Henry grew, he grew in size, and he grew in stature, and he grew in his mind, his horizons grew. He started going out and got a bigger hammer. Started walking around town hammering things. Hammering trees, people's fences, the fire hydrants. Why John Henry could just go around hitting one fire hydrant with one whop, whop. Yeah. All dogs in town hated John Henry. <laughs> well, the whole story goes is that when he grew to full size, he could drive steel on the railroad, drive those spikes in the ground faster than any ten men. People started talking about John Henry. 
Or as the fastest man that ever drove steel on the railroad. And the whole story of John Henry really starts the day the captain told John Henry something. John Henry said, tell me something, Captain. <laughs> then the captain said, John Henry, I'm gonna bring me a steam drill round. I'm gonna bring me a steam drill out on the job. I'm gonna pop that steel on down, Lord, Lord, pop that steel on down. Sure enough, next day they had a steam drill out on the job. Big red steam drill, shiny smokestack sticking up in the air. Well, they had old John Henry over there, muscles rippling in the sun, sweat running off in gimlets. Ringlets. Well, the captain, Head of all the railroad workers looked over at that steam drill and smiled. Then he turned over and he looked over at John Henry with his beady little eyes. He snarled over John Henry. Hi there, John. <laughs> well, John Henry didn't say nothing. Just spit on his hands, picked up those two nine-pound hammers, walked slowly over towards that steam drill, spit on the steam drill. <laughs> then went over and spit on the captain. <laughs> so it got to be about 12 o'clock starting time for the race. Every railroad man in the county was out there that day because they knew if John Henry lost that race, they were all out of a job. Well, it got to be starting time for the race. John Henry is up there at that starting line. That steam drill was up there at that starting line. Big smokestack sticking right up in the air. A little bit of spit on it. <laughs> well, the captain walked up to the starting line. I swear you could hear a pin drop that day. He took out his pistol and pointed it up in the air. John Henry spit on it. <laughs> Actually, this was about the greatest race in the history of man. The race between a man and a machine. He pointed that pistol up in the air and shot it off. Bang! <laughs> that started that race.
the steam drill was going on the left side and John Henry hammered on the right. The steam drill made ten feet, John Henry only three. Then it hammered John Henry out of sight, Lord, Lord. Hammered John Henry out of sight. <laughs> <laughs> hammered John Henry out of sight. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, that's right. John Henry lost that race. Dumb smart I thought he could be a steam drill. <laughs> what a thing for crying out loud. John Henry said to the captain, to the captain, by God I ain't no fool. Before I'll die with a hammer in my hand, I'm gonna get me a steam drill too, Lord Lord. Get me a steam drill too. Get me a steam drill too, Lord Lord. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride I'll see you on the other side It's not the same without you here this phone so tight And I'll whisper you a goodnight kiss I'll see you on the other side When I crawl out of my cage When the world is purified I will find you and I promise this I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side on the other side And I'll meet you with arms open wide I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side And I'll meet you with arms open wide I'll see you on the other side show down here.
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.